Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. And I'm here. And Larry Korea. Sup, boys? This week, the Kickstarter episode. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Larry, I'd like to congratulate ourselves for not being dead yet. So, high five. Yeah, Steve survived COVID. I did. So... I've survived COVID. Jack almost, uh, producer Jack almost died of COVID. This he, is true. Of all of us that I know, everybody I know, he got it like the worst. Yeah, mine mine wasn't too rough. Um, it was just the exhaustion and I'm still super congested. So, you, you, so uh, forgive me listeners for that. Um, all right. Today, Larry, what I want to start off with is a, is a Q&A. Um, we've had a bunch of questions through email, um, from some of our supporters. And then we got one on, on Twitter that, uh, that I thought was pretty topical because of the recency of it. And it has to do with Brandon, uh, Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter. Yeah. We're, this is a, this is a current event one. So as we're recording it, this Kickstarter just wrapped up. Yeah. It just ended. Um, like Brandon, week. yeah. Brandon clocked in at about 41.7 million. <laughs> Which is absolutely mind boggling. It's freaking up. It's freaking awesome. That that is that is an amazing, that is an amazing feat. Yeah, uh, I believe this is like the highest Kickstarter ever by double. By almost double. By almost double, which is frankly astounding. And 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 I hope what what everyone's hearing from the both of us is, um, we're like stoked for him. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of writers get kind of butthurt. We'll talk about this today, but we, I've seen some writers get like butthurt and bitter and jealous. And no, that's kind of stupid. I look at it more of the writing, a rising tide lifts all boats. Exactly. And so I'm happy for the guy because mm-hmm. honestly, that's, that's pretty amazing. And, and we're going to talk about what, what this means to like, uh, industry mm-hmm. and to our particular industry. So I think the first half of this episode, we'll probably wind up talking about this one. Maybe second half will answer some more questions. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can do that. Cause this is kind of a big one. Yeah. It's big. And, and you know, so again, first off, you know, big virtual high fives to Brandon Freaking, yeah, freaking almost 42 million is awesome. Yeah. Mad props, uh, mad props to Brandon. He's got a huge team too. He does. I think he, I think he has somewhere around the vicinity of like 10 folk. Uh, yeah. My, my, uh, I think he's hired pretty much everybody he's ever known as far as like pretty went much. to school with her. Yeah. Uh, of his guys, of family. That, yeah. Of his guys that work there though. I, uh, he's got one guy, Isaac. Isaac is awesome. Isaac is awesome. Well, so. and Isaac's wife is awesome as well. Yeah. Yeah. Isaac actually did the uh, map for Son of the Black Sword. I know. Yeah. It was great. Beautiful map. No, so so I really hope that uh, Isaac gets a huge bonus. Man, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, Isaac's, I mean, honestly, you, you uh, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm just going to, I'm rooting for him to get a big fat bonus out of this. Yeah. Isaac's fantastic. Um, we've both known him for quite a while. Yeah, good dude. Super talented artist, especially when it comes to cartography. Um, so, Okay. So when, when Brandon made his little, his little tongue in cheek, you know, I've been hiding from you, hiding a secret from you announcement and it, and it popped up. Um, I remember seeing it and it went nuts immediately. I mean, I blinked and I think it was at 7 million. Yeah. It cleared several million dollars, like right out the gate. And, and I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is pretty good. Uh, um, but you know, it, it'll probably slow down here, you know, th- to the end of the day. Nope. And it, and that didn't happen. <laughs> My initial prediction, and this is after I think day one or two, I was, I thought that it would clear 30 just based off Kickstarter velocity. Yeah. Where you get the big couple first three big days. Big spike in the front. I mean, you've done Kickstarter. I've done, right? I've done a couple of Kickstarters and I've had, um, 
some pretty successful Kickstarters mm-hmm. by author standards, but nothing like this. Yeah. Like this, this, this crushed mine by orders of magnitude. Oh, it was murderous. Oh yeah. I mean, I actually, I, I've, I, cause I've done, uh, games on Kickstarter. I've done, You've some, done two games, yeah, right? I've done a role-playing game, Monster Hunter role-playing games on Kickstarter. We've cleared over a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. We did uh merchandise and I think we cleared a hundred grand. Yeah, you did coins, right? Oh yeah. The challenge coins, yeah, right? For, and so, so I've done a few and been pretty successful. Um, but this, this, what we just saw with Brandon was some next level stuff. Yeah, and but we'll talk about why. That, like, he's a unique specimen. One of the things we got was people were asking us is like, how does this affect the rest of the industry? Right? Is the rest of the industry just going to forsake their publishers? No, and just go kickstart everything? Absolutely not, Larry. Absolutely not. No, that's not going to happen. So, so the thing that people need to understand about Brandon, and and I've known Brandon for a super long time. I I mean, I met yeah, like him fifteen years. Yeah, I met him when Elantris came out for the first time in bookstores. Um, that was, that was in ye olden days when Steve, you know, when, when me, I was being called the bookstore guy. Yeah. And that's how I'm credited in a lot of Brandon's acknowledgements. Yeah. I want to say he started about five years before I did. It was in 2006. Four years, something like that. 2005 or six is when, um, is when Elantris came out. Okay. Because he was nominated for the, because he was nominated for the Campbell. Okay. So. For the Hugos in, um, in 2006. So four years. Yeah. yeah. Because the first time I. you were nine, right? Yeah, the first time I met Brandon was at my very first con in Utah, a little con that went away. I can't remember his name anymore. Is that Conduit? Mm, I think it was Mountain Con. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah, it was like a little one. And Brandon was a guest. And the reason he was getting mobbed is he had just got, uh, they had just announced that he was writing um, the, the finale of Wheel of Time. Right. And so a fairly new author, and he was just surrounded by this mob of like huge fans uh, and they were just like, you know, cursing him that you'd better get this right or we're going to kill you. <laughs> that man, he went into a rough situation. No, it was interesting. But then, he, uh, so I met the guy and he was super cool and I was yeah. brand new. I just barely had my first publishing contract. Uh, and, uh, so he took me out to dinner and, and wound up giving me a bunch of business advice of stuff that he had wished he'd known when he had first written mm-hmm. his first book. Now I, from what I, from what I remember and part of the, I don't, I don't remember the exact timing of all this. So 2006 was when, um, uh, is when I went to that first convention down in LA. It was that world con in LA. And that was when he was nominated, um, the year that, uh, Scalzi won the, yeah. the Campbell, right? It was him. I honestly don't remember who else was nominated that year uh-huh. besides Brandon and Scalzi. I have no idea. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, we were there, um, and, uh, and, and this was in the days when, when Brandon, uh, had to share rooms with people. Oh yeah. Back uh, when he was a, a normal person. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. Um, but, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, I'm trying to think when this was shortly thereafter, um, he started, he was starting to do pretty good. I, he, this was probably right after he got the, the news about wheel of time. Yeah. And then he started hiring people. Okay. He hired, uh, he hired an old friend of his named Peter Alstrom, who was a editor for a manga house. And so Peter Alstrom kind of became his kind of sort of personal assistant, personal editor. Uh, and then Emily, his wife, is the one that was doing a lot of finances over there. And Emily's freaking rad. Um, well, and then his brother Jordo keeps him uh, keeps him sane and grounded. Otherwise, you guys got to know, Brandon, the reason the guy can write four books on the side and no one knows about it is because if you left Brandon to his own devices, he would turn into Howard Hughes. Oh, yeah. And he'd be walking around in a bath in a bathrobe wearing Kleenex boxes for shoes. Mm-hmm. So Jordo, I think, is the guy that, like, keeps him connected to human yeah, reality. That's definitely what happened in the beginning. 
Um, I don't know about now, but that's how it was yeah, years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no now, idea now. But but you got to understand that's where Brandon came from, and so as as the years have gone by, and as he got more and more successful because of all of the various, um, you know, the wheel of time obviously was the big thing. That was the big catalyst. Well, the thing people need to forget here too, uh, career wise. I mean, the guy has done really well because nobody hustles more than he does. Right. No one works harder. He's the goat when it comes to hustle. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a compliment. I mean, that's coming from me. Oh, yeah, huge. absolutely. Uh, when I say go to hustle, I mean it. That's a big deal, guys. But people need to realize getting that wheel of time deal, that gave his career like a 20-year head Easy. start mega boost. So so before that, the big book that came out before that that started garnering the attention of of Tor and, and Robert Jordan's um, uh, widow. Mistborn, was the first Mistborn. Yeah. Great and, book. No, it's a great book. Yeah. And, um, you know, Brandon was doing pretty well. He was a solid, probably mid-list, low, low mid-list author at that point. Yeah. I don't think Elantris was a bestseller, was no, it? No, not even close. No, okay. No. And Mistborn wasn't a bestseller at the time, I don't think. Not at first. No, it became one. In, I mean, it became one. Um, deservedly so. It's awesome. But throughout all that whole process, he started hiring people and doing things. Now, what I don't know is if if he intentionally did this from the start, I kind of doubt it. Or if this was one of those happy accidents, it's like, it's like when you're writing a, a story, Larry, and you're, you're writing along and you're writing along. And then, you know, two, three, you know, two quarters of the way or two thirds of the way through the book, three quarters of the way through the book, you look back and you think, man, that thing I accidentally wrote back there was super good. That, that turned out to be really great foreshadowing. I'm totally pretending I did that on purpose. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I, I do that all the time. And so I kind of wonder if that, I, I imagine that in the very, very beginning, that's how this went for Brandon. But at a certain point, um, I, I believe, and I, I kind of know to a degree that a lot of this was intentional. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw where his, his career was going. He saw the trajectory and he's like, I can make myself into a brand. And that's what he did. Yeah, definitely. The dude is the all-time master of brand because he has books come out across like multiple, multiple genres. Yeah. And people don't care because they buy it because it's a Brandon Sanderson novel. That's right. I got that to a lesser extent too because like most of my fans will follow me from genre to genre just because it's a Larry Korea novel to buy it. Mm-hmm. They're happy. Brandon is the all-time master of that. And plus his fan base will do that. They're rabid. Is how, okay. So he was forty-two million. How, how many? How many people was that? How many thousands of people? But I didn't. Hundreds. I didn't look at that. Well, it was, have to look it was that over a hundred. It was like a hundred thousand people. Oh, it was well over that. You can understand, guys. That's a huge number of fans. If you can, as a writer, get a core group of ten thousand fans. That's awesome. You're awesome. Like, um, like, like my on my fan page, I got about ten thousand people that are re- reliably buy pretty much what I write when it comes out. Let's see. So he had one hundred and eighty-five thousand backers. Now that's now of huge. those now of those backers, um, we can do some back of the napkin math. Um, Forty-four thousand of them just did ebook. Okay, that makes sense. Now, from a business side, that's really freaking awesome. Well, because there's that's no pure print costs on those. That's pure profit, basically. Yeah, he's just he's just printing electrons mm-hmm. uh, for books that are already yep. done. And then um, he had another forty that were just audio. Okay. Okay. Only got to record it once. There's, there's just a, there's a one time sunk sunk cost fee for that. That's it. Yep. Just and with, a one time setup fee. With the money he got, I'm sure he's going to hire some top tier amazing narrators. Uh, I'd be willing to bet he gets the same people to do like wheel of time stuff. Yeah, I'm sure he'll. Kate Redding and. Um, 
whatever that other dude's name is. He should call Michael Bronson, Kramer. He should call Bronson Pinchot. He absolutely should because mm-hmm. I personally think that both Bronson and Ollie, Tim Gerard Reynolds, they're all way better he than call, He should call my Ryan. narrator. My narrator, I got better narrators than you. You know, absolutely do. My narrators are the best. He should call so, Adam okay. Baldwin. So, so that's about 80,000 of the 180. Okay. So you got to figure that that's a hundred thousand folk who bought print books. Okay. More or less. And didn't he do like a $200 package? Oh, they went all, all the way up to 500. Yes. Wow. So, so the guys, the key here is when people are like, well, you know, this just shows that you can quit your publishing. Estate. No, 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 no. The real lesson to be taken here is about building your brand. Building your brand and getting and, people who will follow you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the key, Larry. It's, it's the understanding of how you interact with and treat your fan base. No, that said though, there is the interesting element of for you. If you have a guy who's a powerhouse superstar writer like Brandon. Yeah. And if you guys have ever, if you want a funny read, go on my blog and look on the Monster Hunter Nation and look up the alphabetical list of author success. Is there one higher than A? No, we have to, uh, and, and. Are we going to have to rewrite this? I'm going to have to rewrite this because Brandon is now like an exclamation point that comes before the alphabet. <laughs> um, because this is something that not even, you know, J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or, uh, George Martin ever did. Not yet. Though they could. No, see, but people that big could do something like this. They absolutely could. Now that lesson or, and the real lesson, I guess, I guess from, for the vast majority of us writers, this doesn't really change much business. Much. What it does change though is for publishing houses. Uh, his publishing house had better be kissing his butt. Oh, um, for sure. They need to be. That, be that's what they need to understand, Larry, because they, um, Brandon has proven now that his fan base will act independently of the branding on the side of the book. Yeah. He could bail from his publishing houses. And he'll do better. And he'd do better because he does. And he also has a cadre of employees that would do all the stuff for him that a publishing house would do. He okay. gets no benefit. Now, now let, let's pretend, let, let's, let's pretend some numbers for a minute. So people understand we're just, just we, how big we this just is. guess. This is total back of the napkin math. Yeah. Okay. From, from a professional CFO. Yeah. So, um, who, who, who also has printed specialty novels and knows what the profit margins are. Um, yeah. So your, your back of the napkin is a bit. <clears> than my average. back of the napkin is more of like a ledger. So, um, okay. So each of these books. Um, are about 40 bucks. Okay. And he says they're premium hardbacks, which means I know the kind of paper he's going to use. I know more or less the binding quality. So what's your, what's your cost on one of those? Like, so it, well, a couple bucks today it's different. Oh yeah. Because paper's shot up so dramatically. Now, now if it's leather bound and which such, quick note for those listening, there is a delay on the second and third volume yeah, of hard magic. The, the print, the, yeah. okay. So Steve's, Steve's working on it. Yeah. Cause I know that's a question. Um, the, for, so spellbound, um, the print file was approved this morning. Oh, okay. So, but here, don't here, yell but at here, Steve, but here's yell the thing. COVID and Gretchen Whitmer. But here's the thing. Um, in the interim, because of all the shortages and COVID and everything, the cost per volume of those books, um, went up by about 70%. Ugh. Okay. Now, whatever. Yeah, that sucks. Okay. Now, all that being said, now I, I'm using a little bit higher quality materials than Brandon will likely be using on this. Okay. But even then I'm assuming that the per cost book, because of the quantity of books that are being printed per, um, well, yeah, per thing, a huge print run by specialty book standards, anywhere, anywhere from 80,000 to a hundred thousand books yeah. per volume. And he'll print extras cause he's going to sell. And he'll do, oh, he'll print so many freaking yeah. extras. So. And sell those forever. Because of scale, economies of scale and all that, um, his cost per book, I'm going to assume somewhere 
I don't know. Let's call it seven, seven or eight bucks. Okay. So all right, about eight bucks. Okay. Okay. And you sell them for 40? But just, just for the sake of easy math, let's say it was 10 bucks. Okay. Okay. Which I think is high. Um, that means he has a 75% royalty or margin on that, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, Larry, on a normal hardback book, say, 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 uh, you know, Servants of War or whatever. Yeah. That the know, author collects? Yep. It's, it's what? Anywhere from 10 to 15%, depending on where you're at? Uh, I don't, I'm trying to remember. See, hard, I want to say hardcover is like 20. Is it up that high? I don't think it's that high. Is it that? I don't know. <laughs> So, I have to go look. So anyway, let, let's pretend, let's for the sake of argument, say you're, you're a rock star and it's 20% on a hardback. That's also $40. Okay. Math says that's $8 that you're getting versus 30. Yep. More than triple per book. So you got to understand, this is why so many independent authors and so many big authors are looking at this and saying, dang. This is crazy. Yeah. This is a lot of freaking money coming the, his way. For the powerhouse authors who have that huge entrenched fan base, honestly, they're going to be asking themselves right now after this Kickstarter closed, because obviously they won't do $42 million just because no. they're not branded. They don't have to. But they don't have to. If you could make a million dollars and keep 75% of it, well, which they're not due because we don't keep my Kickstarter kicks a... People don't forget Kickstarter also takes a fee. Yeah, but between Kickstarter and credit card fees, it's a total of 10%. Yeah, so let's say if you make a million bucks, they get 900000 and then they keep... Uh, they keep they keep 100 grand for themselves. Yeah. Right? That's still but still far more... Your, your, your profit margin at the end of the day... Is even, much higher. I mean, it's... It's probably 50% total. So the real question is going to be is, and, and actually, you know what? We're at, we're, we need to take a break, but we're going to keep yeah, talking we'll about keep, this subject. We'll come back and we'll keep some talking other writer Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is going to turn into the writer Kickstarter episode. Yeah, that's fine. That works. All right. We'll be right back. A small town cop receives an inheritance from his recently dead wife, except she had already been murdered years before. While dying, gunshot in the middle of the crossroads, a man's blood summons a crossroads demon who then convinces him to enforce her deals by becoming her hellhound. A mobile city fleeing from Keiju becomes self-aware and begins stalking a woman living within. Recently home from serving in Vietnam, an ex-soldier discovers the corpse of his wife killed as part of an eldritch ritual. What Hellhounds Dream and Other Stories collects 15 of Steve Diamond's chilling short stories, along with commentary on each tale. What Hellhounds Dream and Other Stories, available on Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, We're going to talk a little bit more about this whole thing and then um at the very end if we still have a little bit of time for for a question or two we'll do it otherwise we'll just do another q a session it's not like it's not like we don't have more time yeah so um so we were talking about brandon being kind of a unique specimen amongst writers yeah i mean he he, he this is definitely like i said we have to add a new layer to the alphabetical list yeah of author success i, I mean it, all the people out there, there i saw quite a few comments larry and i think you saw the same ones um, saying, 
oh, well, this is the, this is the death of all traditional publishing. Eh, and that's kind of crap. It's, I think it's, it's, that's a very, and people have been predicting that since I started writing 12 years ago. It's been predicted since like the year 2000. Yeah. And so every year it's like, everybody keeps talking about the death of traditional publishing. It's more, it's evolved and it's changed. And there are big things that come and go. I don't know what's going to happen. No one really knows what the future holds. The, the thing that I think that this illustrates more than anything else is one, that you should be interacting with and cultivating your fan base, much like you do. Yeah, okay? yeah that's, the, that's the key if you're indie or traditional. And I think what this further illustrates, Larry, is that for any authors who have um, a measure of clout, um, I mean, obviously, if you're at a Brandon level, this is a no-brainer. But even, even guys um, who, are, who, are, um, who are missing a few zeros, um, you know, some of the midlist authors who still have pretty good, like a good loyal fan base and stuff like that. I, I think all this shows is that for them, um, if you're not kind of going the hybrid version of publishing, you're leaving money on the table. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities that writers don't Opportunity. think of as I think you just need to watch for those. Um, well, cause like we were going to talk about another Kickstarter of an author we know who's yeah. a great guy, very talented, been around, uh, for a long time, very successful. I mean, I grew up reading him. Yeah. Hey, Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin Anderson. Yeah. Has you, he just barely had a Kickstarter too. Uh, much more normal amounts of money. I, th- I think the lesson could be learned for more of us is from what Kevin just did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he did a uh, Kickstarter for one of his books for his Dan Shamble series, mm-hmm. which is a zombie detective comedy. comedy. I, I blurbed those books. They're I, funny. I, they're, they're funny. funny. They're, they're funny. Very punny, very silly. Uh, actually get some poignant moments though, cause Kevin's a good writer. Yeah. Um, but Kevin did, uh, Steve's looking at his Kickstarter right now. What's he at? He's almost, so he's almost at 46,000. And at the time of recording this, um, He's got about an hour left in his Kickstarter. Okay. So now everyone will know exactly when we recorded this. Yeah. So we recorded this, you know, you guys know exactly. <laughs> um, no, so I think there's a lesson for writers here. We can take a look at this. Now, obviously you're like, oh, wow, 46,000, that's nothing compared to 42 million. Well, well correct. No, but here's the kicker. This is for a series that um, uh, basically he was done at regular publishing. He decided, Kevin decided to just do this on his own for fun. Mm-hmm. Through Wordfire Press. To, uh, yeah. And so that's, that's Kevin's imprint. Yep. And, and that's where Residue is published. Published, oh currently. yeah, there you go. Yeah. And so Kevin, Kevin has his own small press. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing it through this. We decided to do a Kickstarter basically as an experiment. Um, he's thrown in as extras, basically like eBooks that, uh, he's already done before. Yeah. Which so his cost on a that lot is of, a lot of the Kevin, a lot of the Kevin Janderson classics. I mean, yeah. the dude's written more books than most oh, people have read geez, in their life. He's written for, when we talk about IP writing, Kevin is, I think we mentioned him, Kevin and uh, Jonathan Mayberry are probably the two biggest Yeah, they're IP kind of the writers. goats for that. They're kind of the goats for IP writing. Yeah, I would say Kevin's probably, probably the most diverse of like, he's written for every major yeah. IP there is. Sure. Um, I would say. And, uh, and just, you know, he, if you watch Dune, he had a title card at the end as an advisor. That was so awesome to oh, see. I cheered for him when we saw that. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, because we were sitting next to each other, yeah. yeah. The funny thing is he was really ticked about, like, after the Oscars, everybody was paying attention to Will Smith of the Oscars, and Kevin's like, man, the movie I consulted on was won six Academy Awards, and no one's talking about that because they're talking about Will Smith. But, um, so I think a lesson for authors here is let's take a look at Kevin's and what he did. Yeah. Okay, so, so the main thing here is Kevin, um, he, it was a Kickstarter for the newest book in, in his series called Double Booked. Um, and then on top of that, if he, if he made enough money, the idea was to 
basically reskin, rebrand all the previous books in the series. So Give them new covers. Cool yeah. matching covers. Yeah, cool. I mean, that that's important. The as, new a, covers as a guy are way better. As a guy who who used to run a bookstore, um, having really good art, really good cover design, and having a series that that is uniform in that in that artwork and design, um, especially if it's good, is extremely important. And Kevin knows Kevin knows this better than than we do. I mean, he oh, yeah. he, yeah. he 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 knew this before before I you know I was out of high school. So um, you got to understand that the whole reason why Kevin is doing this is um, there's a different intent here. This is kind of a niche project. This isn't this isn't like some big thing like Dune. Um, I'm sure if, if there was, if the new, if a new Dune novel was kickstarted, it would probably make a stupid amount of money right now. Yeah. But, um, you know, this was almost, I don't want to call it a vanity project, but you know, it's, it's a personal project of Kevin's. It's a fun thing that he loves. It's a series he really enjoys. Yeah. And so 46 grand. Now you're thinking, oh, that's, that's not very much, but for, for a single book in one year. Well, and also as we broke down the percentages earlier, it's going to be similar. Yeah. So he's keeping the vast majority of that. Yeah. So say, say he keeps, uh, I don't know, 30, 35,000 of that. Now think about your personal situations in your, in your day jobs and stuff. What would you do with, um, earning $35,000 that you're basically keeping pre-tax? Of course, sorry. Taxes are always going to kill you. Yeah, taxes. Yeah. Taxes are Can't crap. be helped. Um, Harkening, well, it can, but not. Harkening yeah. back to one of our, to one of our earliest episodes, taxation yeah. is theft. So, um, that 35,000, I mean, you, you got to understand that that's, that's a good half to 60, 70% of, of the average median income for a home in the United States. Yeah. Now if he, and if this that's was pretty from, dang good, if this, I mean, I'm sure he's got regular mainstream series books that he's selling through other publishers. He makes a lot more money off of, mm-hmm. but if this is a one-off kind of thing for a series, that's not as well-known, not as popular, but he gets to like reskin his existing series and he's going to keep selling those forever. Yeah. So he gets a good chunk of change. Um, he gets, you know, for Kevin, uh, this is probably a couple months of income cause he makes you no know, good money. Uh, and it's basically just kind of a fun project. I mean, obviously you want to always do more, but think about it guys. Uh, 45 grand is, is a chunk of money. Oh yeah. For, for sure. most writers. You know, there's, there's quite a few other, um, Kickstarters that, that kind of, that kind of fit in the same range. Now, We've seen a lot of anthology Kickstarters. Oh, so many so anthology many Kickstarters. Those now. Thank goodness. Right. Because yeah, that's actually kind of revitalized the short fiction uh, market where someone will pick up a, a theme for an anthology, they'll kickstart it. Because the thing is, guys, you can understand about like short fiction anthologies just don't sell that well. On rare occasion. On rare occasion. Monster Hunter. Mon- the Monster Hunter one sells pretty good. I mean, the Monster Hunter Files is money. That that yeah. anthology is freaking yeah, nuts. We need part two, Larry. Yeah, that's I need me. I need to buy a new smoker. That's on me. Well, and it, 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 that, that just, that, that's, that <laughs> anthology, I think everybody in that anthology has made a lot, like, like. Oh, I've made more a than, lot. More than most of us made off our first novels. For sure. For sure. So you guys did for a short story. So that's, that, oh, yeah. that one you guys understand, guys, that one's an anomaly though. Most anthologies don't do that. So the fact that people are kickstarting more anthologies, yeah. that's actually a great business opportunity. Now, now we've talked about two established, um, traditional pubbed authors who have gone the route of Kickstarter for, for that. Um, now 
the big question then is, well, what about all the self-published people? Well, I think right? would come down to that. The biggest question is how big is how big your, your audience? Yeah. So there's a guy, uh, Michael J. Sullivan. He was kind of, he was kind of, he was successful indie before successful indie was cool. Right. A lot of, tons of fantasy stuff. Um, I've not personally read it, so I can't vouch for any quality. Don't know the guy. You know, yeah. um, but for example, so this, I'm looking at one of his Kickstarters right now. Um, this was back in, I think, 2020. Uh, he's completely self-published and he raised 120 grand for his new book. Okay. Pretty freaking good. Pretty freaking good. What people don't realize too is it's not going to be only 120 grand he's going to make at that because he's going to continue selling the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he got that much up front. That's pretty, that's more than uh, most people are getting as an advance off of a traditionally published book. We've talked about that too. Uh, people think advances are huge because they hear about the huge ones in the news. Yeah. Or the political ones. Those are the ones that make the news Yeah, for a reason. Usually it's marketing. Uh, most of us, our first book advances are, you know, five grand, mm-hmm. 10 grand. Yeah. Maybe, maybe bigger. I mean, sometimes 50 grand, uh, but that's rare. That's pretty high. And even then, most of the guys I know that got that recently have been for multiple books. Yeah. And they do the basket accounting thing. Which is just, yeah. Which is trash. That's horrible. I feel bad for people on that. So I hope what everybody is hearing here is that this whole Kickstarter thing, you know, what Brandon, what Brandon has done, um, a lot of this is because he, he worked his butt off in advance and got it. Okay. So, um, for those of you who have kids out there. Both Larry and I, obviously we have, you know, we have our families and kids and whatnot. Yep. Now, when, when the kids were young, when, you know, they're newborn and, and everything, uh, you go through, a, you go through a, a year basically where it's just day in and day out. And it feels like you're just training the kid all day. Oh man, they're horrible day. at first. And it's rough. It's so, so hard. But the idea is the more effort you put in there, the less upkeep you have down the road. And if right? you do a really good job when they're little, when they turn into teenagers, they're actually not bad. Yeah. They're actually not holy terrors. They're actually pretty cool. Yeah. You can tell that you can tell the ones that the parents didn't put in the time early because their teenagers are total garbage. Yeah. And they're, or their toddlers are running circles around the table oh, at restaurants. The little kids are like, like destroying throwing, everything in throwing the Walmart. Throwing crayons at everyone. Yeah. No, no. If you put in the time early, uh, later on, it's life is a lot easier. The writing career is a whole lot like that. Exactly. And, and to this, to the point of Brandon's Kickstarter, it's the same thing. He put in all of that effort up front over years. And I mean, what, what was the joke that we always say, Larry, that, that it's, um, yeah, it was really cool that that we worked 10 years to become an overnight well, success. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It was like, wow, you just came out of nowhere. You're an overnight success. And it's like, I've been doing this for 10 years. What, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, Brandon is that. Brandon has put in the time and where, where he excels is the man works. He, he works and works and works and he's good and he's consistent. Mm-hmm. That's it. And he's built up a very good, um, stable business on, you know, Behind the scenes, basically behind the curtains. Yeah. That's the thing. His marketing, uh, his marketing cadre and fulfillment group is second to none. There's no, but nobody else in writing has anything anywhere near what he has. And, and I think that that's the big key is all these people saying, well, everyone should just be doing what Brandon's doing. It's like, okay, cool. So in nope. 10 years, there ain't nothing stopping you. In 15 you. years, when you've built up that size of fan base and have, uh, established all of those processes for your business and have, you know, four other people working for you that can understand how to fulfill, 
you know, tens of thousands of shipments. Yeah. Yeah, you can totally do that. The only thing that he got that other writers didn't get is the Wheel of Time thing. And let's be honest, that alone doesn't mean you could do something like this because we've seen other writers who have been given like these amazing opportunities where their name could get connected to an amazing, huge, big property and they squandered it. Mm -hmm. And we try not to name names of people who suck or have failed on this show. We try to celebrate the successes and not, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, but we can think of people who... They were given like golden opportunities where it's like, here is a huge, huge book. This is like a big deal. It's connected to like giant IP and you get to have the flagship. You're the, you're the first person who gets to write in the new Star Wars series. I'll try not to name names here, Steve. I didn't name any names. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. If like you're rebooting the entire Star Wars universe, the most valuable IP in all of human history, are you going to turn in a quality work for that that you like will be connected to your name? For, it's already going to be number one New York Times, by, Even, just by default. If you blew your nose in a napkin and published that, it would already be, it would be a number one yeah. bestseller. Okay, because it's everybody's so eager to see what this is going to be. Or are you going to write? I don't know something that's a little wibbly and wobbly and. Herculean jerky. He just blew his nose into the tissue and published it. And so this is the kind of thing, guys. Brandon was given this golden opportunity, but you know what he did? He took that golden opportunity and he he uh, he, he killed it. He absolutely killed it. He turned in a really good quality product and the fans, the loyal old time fans loved it. And because of that, they bought all his other stuff and they bought all his new stuff. Well, and the, and the thing is, is he has now established a new status quo for himself. So anytime that any new book that he puts out that, uh, that maybe, uh, you know, one of the, the big publishers is like, well, I don't know. I just don't know if this is really what we want to publish right now. Brand will be like, all right, see you sucker. Yeah. And he'll just do it himself. Well, the thing is that no, no publisher in the world would ever turn him down now at this point either. You'd be surprised. Are they that dumb? Um, well, yeah, that's true. I, okay, now that's a stupid question to me. No, I, I know <laughs> with, without, without getting into too many details, I know that one publisher um, sent back a book to him and, and wanted all these changes made to it. And he was just like, no. <laughs> Dummies. And, and the thing is. Yeah, see, that's he, the thing. I, I was asking this rhetorical question because I'm a businessman. Steve's a businessman. We have corporate backgrounds. We're like, who could possibly be that stupid? To just like, like do, so, this is publishing. Publishing. They're all stupid. Yeah. They, yeah. There's a lot. I mean, I'm lucky. My publisher is not in Manhattan. My no. publisher is smart. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> and, and, and they, a businesswoman. and they do exactly what they do for their own brand and fan group, brand and fan group. I have to say that very carefully because it sounded like I was saying brand and fan group. See what I'm saying? I like this episode because uh, we try not to get political, but this first episode ever, I can just go, let's go Brandon and be like completely. And it's totally legit. Totally legit. So don't kick us off of Spotify or anything. (laughs) Well, in fact, that's what the, that's what the, the Twitter question said, said, I can say this. I can literally, literally say this and it's okay. Let's go Brandon. This is the one time we're not going to yell at let's go Brandon. (laughs) But so, so Bane, this is literally what they do. They nurture a fan base for their own brand. And, and for their authors. Yep. And that's why Bane is successful. And that's why both you and I love writing for him. Yeah. It's not a lot of like the corporate games no. you get at other places. No. I don't know, guys. Th- this this really, this topic that I don't really actually, I don't know if me and Steve have all the answers. No, we people definitely are like, don't. What's this going to do? What's this mean? What's the future? 
dude, if I knew what the future of publishing was, I'd be out buying stock in whatever oh, it was. Sure. And, and, and then, you know, we wouldn't need all of you lovely supporters to donate 99 cents to us per month. Because did you know, Larry, that for 99 cents a month, you can help support us? Help us help support like me and my barbecuing habit. That's important. Steve needs a new smoker. I, I really do. And, and not, not because I want to get rid of my old one. I just want a second one. You know how many briskets I can make with two smokers? Dude, this is important stuff. Steve's biggest concern of the economy is the price gas, of beef, not dude. gas prices or inflation. It's all about the price of briskets. It's rough. I was looking back at my photo line and, and I have pictures of, of, pre-inflation brisket other people have pictures of their kids i have brisket and dude it was so much cheaper yeah oh my heavens anyway one day one day listeners larry and i will we'll just do a, an episode where we talk about food <laughs> i think so I, we'll, we'll talk we'll about brisket and donuts and barbecue and all that stuff <laughs> and it'll be wonderful but today we'll make it writing related but today is not that day today was a good was just a we were going to do some more questions, but we'll just do another Q&A ep- episode Like later. all things, Brandon is just too big. It's too much. It's too much. There wasn't, you know, maybe we should have edited it down like like his bigger books, but there was, <laughs> there was no way. There was no way. The fans expect certain things, Larry. So, all right. That's all the time we have for y'all today. Um, thanks this, so much it, for listening. If this is a proper Brandon episode, this episode would be two hours long instead of 30 minutes. Right. And, and we wouldn't have even you know, gotten out of the introduction. It's a 10 episode series. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make really fun. He may, he makes too much money. <laughs> he clearly knows what the hell he's doing. So obviously, yeah, obviously, I mean, goodness sakes. Oh my gosh. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening to us. We appreciate you all. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writerdojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Crack, that's the sound of freedom right there, Larry.